Well, good morning once again and welcome. I'm going to try to not knock this over because that'll make things go boom. But it is good to be here this Christmas season and everything looks so Christmassy. I just, I love what is going on here. And as the video showed and as we talked about, we are in the, the second week of our series called Who Is This? The Savior Born at Christmas. And this entire Christmas season, it seems to begin right at Thanksgiving or a little before, we're, we're inundated with a wonderful thing. We get to see these recreations of that first Christmas morning, these manger scenes uh, show up in our greeting cards and in books, and we see them online, maybe even a Christmas special if we happen to catch Charlie Brown this year, and even sometimes on the front uh, of our neighbor's lawns. It's a beautiful thing, and so all throughout December, we're constantly looking at these scenes, peering into the manger, asking, who is this? Who is this child? What does he mean for the history of the world? What does he mean for my life, my family, my place of work? And for these weeks leading up to Christmas Day, our church, our church preachers, Pastor Ty and our preaching team, has taken the line that we're not only looking into the manger at the child, but we want to look at the man and to see what roles he fulfilled in his life as he carried out his ministry on earth. So last week we looked at Jesus as prophet, and we'll look at today at him as priest, next week as king, and Christmas morning as savior. If you have your Bibles with you, we are going to be skipping around quite a bit in order to cover this topic, but you could open up to Hebrews chapter 10 as a good jumping off point. And as you turn there, I want to talk to you about a trend that I've been seeing lately that I just kind of wonder if you've heard about. It's this term called adulting. People heard this term, adulting, yes. It's, it's the idea, it's, it's using the, the word adult as a verb to try and explain the things that grown-ups have to do. One uh, description of this I saw was, adulting is mimicking things you see real adults do in an attempt to trick people into thinking that you're a real adult as well. <laughs> Ever feel that way? It's become this popular meme online, a way for people to express that sometimes we're just done with responsibility. We just, we just need to go to bed, or we just needed to take a rest. And I found a few of these images expressing this around the web. I have this first one. Please don't make me adult today. <laughs> How many of you have been that dog? Am I right? Or I like this phrase. It puts it so eloquently. Who let me adult? I can't adult. <laughs> and then finally, I'm done adulting today. I'm going to have a bottle of wine and watch Netflix. It's become a popular idea, right? There's this just difficulty of adulting, and I don't think it's new. I think it's finally being expressed. In fact, it's becoming so common that there's actually three women in Portland, Maine, that opened up a school called the Adulting School. And the whole idea behind this is that you can learn all the things that your school never taught you or your parents never taught you or your insert people you want to blame for your life here that never taught you. And you can maybe figure it out. But I think what's interesting for young adults as they've entered in, and we hear the, the term millennial thrown around so much, is that there are some harsh realities we have to face. That by and large, this young adult generation entering into the workforce, into marriage, isn't. They're delaying job choices. They're delaying marriage if they're thinking that they need to get married at all. 
and with a people that are by and large uh, actually getting more education, more degrees than their parents or previous generations, we still find that they have a sort of umbilical cord still connecting them to home or to academia. And so we wonder why. There's a recent show on Netflix that really highlighted this theme very well. It uh, both mocked the 30-somethings who are a little too sensitive and unable to seem to get a hold of their life, which is fun right now to mock, and I'm a 30-something, so I can handle that. But then it also looked at the other side of the coin with a little more in-depth view into the complexity of what's actually going on in this life by by taking the main character and saying, you know what, she's someone who's well-educated. She's someone who's got privilege. She's someone who's industrious. She's someone who has friends in the right places. And yet the resounding thing that comes out of her life and her story is life is hard. Life is hard. It's hard if you feel like you have something to prove. It's hard to go through life if you feel like nothing is enough. It's hard if you feel like God looks down from you down to you from this great distance with a frown. And it's hard if you feel alone or unknown or uncared for. And I think that these are things that maybe, just maybe, aren't limited to this generation. But that if we're honest, each of us in this room have felt this way before or are even feeling it right now. And so if you're tired of trying to achieve the unachievable, this message is for you. If you're anxious that you can't be enough, this is for you. If you feel distant and fearful of what lies ahead and feel unknown and uncared for and unsure of God or the people around you or even yourself, then this message is timely and it's for you. Because you and I need a priest And that priest is Jesus. Jesus is the priest we need. Now, we hear the the word priest, and I don't know about you, but my first thought is Catholics and callers, right? I have some experience there. I think of confessional booths, and I think of uh, some rituals or mass. Or, you know, you add a rabbi, and you got the beginnings of a good joke about to start. Or a tired one or semi-offensive, depending on where you take it. But the idea of a priest has been around a lot longer. It really goes back really far. And and the basic sense of a priest is an in-between, is a a bridge or a representative between the human and the divine. It's a mediator, someone who stands in the gap. And so this morning, what I want to look at is three needs that we have which call on someone to stand in the gap. And I want to show you how each one of these needs shows itself in the Old Testament as God provides the priests. But then also show you how it fails and how ultimately only Jesus can be the priest that we need, the one mediator between God and man. So the first need is this. We need a priest to end our striving. See if any of this sounds familiar. Up before dawn, hit the gym, first in the office, beat last year's sales scores, got to get straight A's, make the club sports team, diversify the portfolio, brush up the resume, enlarge the master bath, post an insta-perfect picture of your happy family. And if you didn't do all that that day, 
if it didn't satisfy, well, then you'll just get up earlier tomorrow and try again. Try harder. Now, I am all for hard work, but what I'm trying to get at is I want to know why. Why are you doing what you do? Have you ever wondered what is at the heart of our drive to work so hard? Why do we strive? Why do we struggle? Money? Well, maybe. Prestige and appearance? That's part of it. But what I do wonder is if it's not for for many people, if not most, that there is a deeper understanding that we have let God down. And in turn, in our response is we think, well, we got to earn, we got to replace those losses with some different kinds of wins and we sacrifice. Sacrifice is a word pretty loosely connected these days to its origin. We live in a culture that uh, gets in an uproar when England's new currency has a little bit of animal uh, fat in it uh, that happened this past week. Can't imagine what those people would do if they read Leviticus. But offering sacrifices was a primary function of the priests of Israel. And while there are lots of different ones that would be done, you could really narrow all the sacrifices down to pretty much two categories. First is a sacrifice of praise, thanking God for what God has done. And the other is really a sacrifice of cleansing that you need because of what you have done, something called sin. But these are not sacrifices for full forgiveness, but for temporary restoration. They were offered to restore their relationship with God. They were God's means of allowing them to keep his presence with the nation. But it wasn't enough. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Can't do it. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Animal sacrifice was never going to do it. It was never going to take away their sin. In fact, rather than put an end to the striving, we see here in Hebrews 10 that it was a constant reminder every year of the sin that separated them from God. Constant reminder that something had to be done, that it wasn't enough on their own and That's a recipe for anxiety, is it not? Sacrifices couldn't deal with sin. They couldn't grant victory over it. It couldn't address the heart. As what we just read said, the sacrifices, though, were a shadow of the good things to come, better things. They couldn't make you perfect. They could only remind them of sin. They delayed the punishment, but they could not satisfy God's justice. Something better was needed. There's a TV show my wife has been enjoying without me uh, because I guess you got to find one of those things you can watch that I'm not like, hey, I missed that episode. Go back, go back. So she's been watching Call the Midwife. Anybody partaking in that particular episode? All right, so it's it's a BBC series. It takes place in London in the early 60s. And there's this one episode where a grandma whose daughter has just had a baby discovers that she's a carrier for typhoid. 
and her daughter's gotten sick just days after the birth, and her son-in-law's gotten sick, and she is just beside herself what to do. And the nurses come along, and they explain to her what she can do through uh, washing her hands and keeping their place clean in order to mitigate the effects of this disease. But there's no cure. Overwhelmed with guilt and shame for getting others sick, this woman withdraws from her family. She refuses to hold her new baby granddaughter, and she begins to compulsively, agonizingly scrub her fingers and hands in order to try and wash away what can never be washed away. You see, her nurses can instruct her to be clean, but they can't get rid of the illness. She needs something better. She needs a doctor to give her a real cure. But in the same way, the cleansing sacrifices of the priests could only at best just keep sins at bay. Ultimately, we needed a greater priest who offered a greater sacrifice. Here's what God says in Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. A few verses later in verse 26, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see? Jesus is our great high priest who offers himself. He was the sacrifice. His blood for our forgiveness. Not many times, not over and over, not each year, but once for all. It's perfect. It's final. Not to put away sin for another time, but to satisfy justice and punishment that our sin deserved. Not to just mitigate the chance of infection, but to take away the root. And that's why we don't sing, Jesus paid almost all, the rest is up to us. No, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That's why on the cross, Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, it's almost your turn. You got to carry the ball. And he said, it's is finished. And that's why we need Jesus as our priest. Because we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, we look at ourselves, we know our sin. We know our guilt and our failures. But what we don't know and what we need to know is that all the good works, all the long hours, all the striving to succeed, all the hand-washing, never going to do it. It will never be enough. Only Jesus can make that sacrifice. Only Jesus can pay it all. So stop trying to earn it yourself. Without Christ, you can't. And if you're trying, I have to imagine you're getting tired of just running yourself ragged in order to save yourself. It can't be done. But for those whose faith is in Christ, Christians, some of you right now are tired too. And you're tired of trying to prove that you deserved to be saved. The end of the 
World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan, the title character played by Matt Damon is, uh, is found and he's rescued and he's made safe and a dying Tom Hanks looked up at him with his last words and says, earn this. And it basically ruins the movie for me. I hate that moment. Because then you know that the whole rest of that young man's life is enslaved to the idea of earning the lives of that whole squad that came to rescue him. And that's something he can never do. He can never win. Too many of us Christians are walking around doing the exact same thing. You know that Jesus saved you, but you're still trying to figure out how you can make it up to him. And you can't. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough. You can't evangelize enough. You can't heal enough, work enough. You can't do anything that will equal Jesus' sacrifice. And when we, when we try, we just we, we give him all these worthless and weird trinket kind of things up on the altar. And he's, what am I supposed to do with this? All the while, just drowning in our own self made anxiety because we know that whole time that our efforts won't do it. But to the person with faith in Christ Jesus, God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It's no more. Because Jesus is the priest who puts an end to the striving to earn as well as the anxiety. That's why we can sing that on Christ's birth, a weary world rejoices. Have you let your weary world rejoice at his coming? Jesus is the priest you need to end your striving. The second need that we have of reason we need a priest is that we need a priest to bring us near. Now, I've heard it said that uh, cell phones are amazing technology because they can make distant people close and close people distant. Do you agree with that statement? Would you agree that right now in our culture and society, we kind of have a presence problem? We have screen time, um, which doesn't, you know, FaceTime doesn't make up for people not uh, looking at you in the face when you're actually in the same room. And I'm not just talking about kids on devices. I'm also talking about parents. I've seen too many articles, and I've seen it too much in my own life, where the, the, the phone buzzes. I'm supposed to be watching my kids, and they're doing something really cute, but the, but the phone just buzzed. All right, but I'm watching them, but I, what could that be? Is that an email? Is that a call? Is that a text message? Is that a Facebook notification? Oh, I'm just going to look at it for a little bit, and what do the kids see? They look up, and their dad's looking at his phone. We have a problem with presence, but it's, it's not new to our digital age. There's an author named Stephen Smith. He writes about what he calls the, the serial stare. When he and his dad would eat breakfast together, but his dad would emotionally leave the table and begin chewing on work concerns instead of cereal and actually being with his son. This is what he writes. He says, Now I realize the pain that I was in, wanting so badly to connect to my dad, to be seen, to be noticed, to be loved by him. And we have experiences like this, and we end up thinking, if, if I can't cross the distance with a, with a father or with a, with a brother or with a friend or with a spouse, how, how can I begin to think about crossing the distance 
between me and God. But that's why God gave his people priests. Sacrifices were the means to deal with sin, but the goal of those sacrifices was always presence. From first creation, God's desire has been to dwell with his people. And in Israel, it was by the work of the priests that maintained God's presence in the temple. And it was the priest's work which then made it so that people, ordinary people from Israel, could enter into the outer courts, but then they couldn't go any further. Priests could go a little further in the temple. And then once a year, on a single day, one person, the high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies, where God's special presence dwelt. But that was it. And so this same temple, which was a testament to God, the true God of all the earth, Yahweh, resided in Israel, it was also a lingering reminder that while he was there with the people as a whole, they couldn't get to him. They were divided. They were separated. There was a gate they couldn't cross and a curtain where they would never in their whole life see the other side of. The priests were a little more privileged, but if they became sinful, then the whole nation suffered. Bad priests are like coming up on a bridge out road sign and you don't know how to get to the place you're going any other direction. You need a better bridge. Jesus is the perfect bridge. He's without sin. He was perfectly obedient in his life. And when he died, the very curtain of the temple, we're told in Matthew, was torn in two from top to bottom, showing the radical change of how to approach God's presence. And the author of Hebrews lets us know even more about this now in chapter 9. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Chapter 6, verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place, behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Christ enters the holiest place. I'm not talking about the holy of holies in the temple. I'm talking about into heaven itself, into the very presence of God for us so that we can too. And this means now that we don't have a need for a temple. We don't have need for a separate priesthood. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.9, we're all called priests now. And as our high priest, Jesus is the one who gives us full access. Back in chapter 10, verse 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, now here's what we're supposed to do, because all that's true. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we have confidence to enter into God's presence. We can draw near to him in faith. Because the good news of Jesus isn't the forgiveness of our sins, but what that gives us, which is God himself. So what does this mean? This means that you're not gonna get the serial stare 
No matter what you're going through, no matter what's coming your way, you have the creator, you have the king, you have the father in heaven who is ready to receive you. He's ready to hear you. He looks down upon you through the cleansing work of Jesus and he is pleased with you. Now I know to, to hear that, some of you, it just sounds too foreign. You think there's just no way. He looks down at me and he's disgusted. He looks down at me and he's embarrassed. Or he looks down at me and at the very least, he kind of does a, uh, and an eye roll, right? God's just up there kind of, mm, I guess I got to deal with them again. No. Hear this. With your faith in Jesus, united to him, he is your high priest. And in him, God is pleased with you. He's smiling at you and he wants you to be with him. We don't have to settle for distance when God is offering us presence. Because of your high priest, Jesus, God is pleased for you to draw near to him. And that is the greatest reward of all. Of all. Jesus is the priest you need to bring you near. Third reason that we need a high priest is that we need a priest who knows us and prays for us. To know us and to pray for us. Albert Einstein once remarked, it is strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Oscar-winning actress Anne Hathaway confessed, loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anybody to care for or someone to care for me. Friends, feeling alone is part of the human condition. And even with sins forgiven and with God's presence guaranteed, we still have to acknowledge that life is often a complicated mess. And we feel alone. And sometimes we just don't feel that known or cared for. And we're hoping to find someone who will travel along with us, who, who gets what we're going through, who can sympathize with us. Someone who has a clue. Well, looking back to the Old Testament in Exodus 28, when God tells Moses to pick the first priest, Aaron's and his sons, he says this, pick them from among the people of Israel key to the, to the function and the practice of the priests was that they were from among the people. They're just like everybody else. So that way they could represent everybody else and they could bring prayers to God on their behalf. And so when that high priest entered into the Holy of Holies on that one day of the year, he brought with him, uh, visibly seen by the, the smoke coming out from the incense he was burning, he brings the prayers of his people to God. Bringing their needs through one man into God's presence. And, but you have to wonder, you know, how often did that high priest kind of take all the vestments and the, the robe and all that stuff off? How well did he really know his people that he was representing? How often did he walk alongside them or in their shoes and get to know what they were struggling with? Or did he just kind of watch from a distance and shake his head and roll his eyes? Not only were they limited in their knowledge of the people, but also in their lifespan. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. 
So that even if Israel got a good one who knew the people well, who represented them well and in holiness, they couldn't count on his priestly ministry to carry beyond his own death. Friends, we need a priest who knows us and prays for us and who's not going to stop. And once again, Jesus is the only one who fits the bill. Hebrews 7 says, but Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And because of that, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, one definition of intercession I got from Wayne Grudem, he says, Jesus here continually lives in the presence of God to make specific requests, and to bring specific petitions before God on our behalf. I think it's actually defined a little better in a a beautiful hymn that I'd love for you to join in with me as we know. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Not only does Jesus stand in the gap continually to present his righteousness as our own, but he prays for us. Jesus prays to God the Father for us. And so Jesus, as fully human, as the perfect man, he is there. He is praying all the right prayers with all the right faith, receiving all the right answers. And once more, this is good news for us. Because I don't know about you, but I know that my prayer life is inadequate. It's not often enough. I don't always know the right words to say for the situation. And if I'm really honest, I don't think I know myself well enough to know my needs as to what I should be praying for. I have young kids, three of them, sleep in the same room. And so at night, go to do prayer time. Love praying with them. It's one of my favorite times of the day. And I'll ask them and say, all right, who wants to pray? And uh, our little two-year-old, you know, she wants to every night, and it's really cute. And the others sometimes do and sometimes don't. But there are also times when my kids want to pray, but they just express that they don't know how. A lot of times this is after uh, discipline has happened, and I've called them out on something. But it's in these times that they'll ask if I can pray with them and for them and so that they can repeat after me. They want to pray, but in the moment they just feel inadequate. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus always lives to make these prayers for us. He is our great go-between. He is the high priest who knows the right words to say, but also he knows us. 
Hebrews chapter 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus prays for you when you put it off. He brings the needs that you don't know. He prays when we forget. He prays for our protection from dangers that we can't see. He prays that our fullness of joy would be found in him and not in worthless things. He prays for our unity and for our victory. And if you want to know more about what Jesus prays for you, look at his prayer in John 17. But take heart, friends. The right prayers are always being offered by Jesus on your behalf, and God is pleased to answer him. So let that knowledge encourage you not to stop praying but to go ahead and join him. Because the next verse after 4.15 is 4.16. Because Jesus can sympathize with us, this is what the author says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And because if you ask my kids, they know that it's easier to pray when someone else is praying with you. Someone who knows you, who cares for you, who won't ever leave you and will never see. So pray, pray with Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the priest we need, who knows you and prays for you. So how are we doing? Do we see yet that how much we need the priest, how much we need Jesus? Life is hard. Adulting, hard. Teenagering, hard. Whatever comes after adulting, when you feel like, oh, those adults, they're too young, hard still. You can feel exhausted. You can feel alone and uncared for. But what you need to know is the answer is not to figure out your problems on your own. It's to lay them before your great high priest, Jesus. To come to him. It has to be Jesus. Do you know him? If not, please Come find me, Pastor Ty, one of the other pastors afterwards, so we can introduce you. Jesus entered our world that first Christmas as a human baby so that he could be our sacrifice, so he could be our representative, and so he could pray on our behalf. It took a human to do it, but it had to be Jesus. One last scripture for you. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He ends your striving. He brings you near. He knows you, and he prays for you. Jesus is the great high priest that we need. Let us pray. Father, know that right now, the only reason we can enter into your presence is because Jesus, our high priest, is there. He carries our needs, he carries our requests, he carries what we don't even know about to you and you answer him and you provide and you give and you respond and it brings you glory. Father, I ask that we would not let the incredible gifts that are Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus drawing us near to your presence and Jesus knowing us and praying for us, that we would not let those just pass us by. Let us respond. Let's not try to figure out a new way to work harder. But to let 
you put our soul to rest so that we can work in a new way out of joy, out of freedom, out of the grace of sons and daughters whose father looks down and smiles. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.